Hello and welcome to DMN's 101 Podcast. I'm your host, Marjorie Remind Sanabria, and I'm here today with Ryan Deutsch, Chief Brand Advocate at Prasado. Ryan is responsible for advancing understanding and adoption of artificial intelligence in the content creation process. He previously worked at Sears Holding Corporation, which is a Prasado customer, and he's gone from the data side to the advocacy side, explaining to people why they don't need to be afraid of content creation and data. So welcome, Ryan. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And thank you so much for coming and coming all the way from Brooklyn on this very cold day. You know, I'm a Chicago guy. Anytime I can ride the subway here in New York, uh, I try to make it make it work. Well, Chicago is significantly colder than New York, so I appreciate you weathering <laughs> right. the bad weather. So let's let's dive right into it. We, we started this conversation before we were recording about why people are afraid of content creation. So what's what's the hang-up? Why are people scared? Yeah, so I think the fear comes from uh, this combination of, of data or science into the creative process, which is typically considered art, right? So uh, you get a lot of fear from creatives that machine learning and AI are going to take the art out of uh, the content or the, the work that they, that they do on a daily basis. And, you know, the reality is machine learning and AI, like any other tool, just exists to help people do their jobs better. And in this example, um, content creators, uh, chief creative officers or, or CDOs shouldn't be afraid of data. They should be embracing it because it will just make their best creatives better at the end of the day. But aren't we going a step beyond data because artificial intelligence and machine learning is, is actually like improving on that process? I feel like data was something that came on the scene maybe 10 or 15 years ago as this new thing. Oh my goodness, we have data. We can put it on a screen. We can plot the points. You know, and I think people were really afraid back then because I think they felt that maybe their role was starting to become more quantified. And now with this artificial intelligence aspect to it, it seems like we're taking those data points and it's going into this box and what's going on inside that box. Am I getting that right? Yeah, people are afraid of the black box yeah. uh, a lot more so than they are data points that they could just read into. So so here's what I think is happening. So Forbes actually wrote an article that was published a few weeks ago, um, and it was I think it was titled, uh, Are CMOs Becoming Extinct? So they're talking about the change that's happening within um, the chief marketing officer's role. Uh, and the statement in the article was something to the effect of, it's not that CMOs aren't trying, it's that they can't keep up with the pace of AI and the customer demands uh, related to um, the pace of, of the information data provides. And Kristen Lemkow, who's the CMO of J.P. Morgan Chase, actually uh, responded to the statement in a tweet. And what she said was, she couldn't agree more, CMOs need to be experts in AI. Now, I don't agree that CMOs or marketers or content creators need to be experts. What they need to understand, which gets to your core question of what's different between data and AI, they need to understand that AI provides insights about customers that traditional data attributes don't. So the whole idea of using machine learning uh, in the content creation process is using it to understand new information about a customer, an audience, and a segment that you simply can't get to with the data attributes that, that used to be leveraged in the past. An example would be, a simple example, um, would be understanding the emotions that resonate with an audience or a customer. Mm -hmm. As a content creator, you're sitting down writing uh, content, you're not thinking about how does this resonate emotionally with an audience? Because you don't necessarily understand what are the emotions, what's the language associated with each emotion, and how does each segment or individual respond 
to that emotion. That's the stuff that machine learning makes available that didn't exist previously from a data-only perspective. Does that make sense? It does, but isn't it kind of weird that you have a machine telling you what emotions your customers are going to feel? Like, shouldn't <laughs> like a, a person or a marketer have like a general idea of what makes people feel scared or warm and fuzzy or what, pe- what makes people want to take action? So it's so funny. They should, absolutely. But in general, due to the digital nature of engagement between brands and customers, the opinion is more subjective than it is certain. So for example, you and I are talking here on this podcast. Mm -hmm. We're looking at each other. I see your face when I'm answering your question. I can kind of read how you feel about what I'm saying. You do the same with me. We have that opportunity. If you think about the way brands engage with customers today online or in a digital environment, Mm -hmm. that opportunity doesn't exist. Like we're not looking across from the customer and see how they react to our language, to a product description, to a promotion, et cetera, et cetera. So what smart marketers are doing is they're using machine learning to help creatives get the insight of what's happening with customers as they interact with content online. So they're basically using the experimentation process and the algorithms to replace what you and I are having as we sit across each from each other mm-hmm. having a conversation. It's just not available today from a digital experience standpoint. So basically you're having a machine kind of have these kind of conversations but across, you know, a whole a whole um, spectrum of people. Yeah, so right. So if you think about it, it's, the machine's not having the conversation. It's still the marketer. The marketer creates an experience. The marketer creates content and puts it onto the digital platform. Mm-hmm. The customer then comes and interacts with the co- that content. What the machine is doing is it's learning from those interactions. Okay. So it's, it's able to understand much more than someone clicked and converted. It's able to understand through experimentation why people click and convert. Was it the product description? Was it some personal narrative that the language or content related to? Was it the right. promotion? So it's it's that understanding that machine learning shares back to the customer, the creative uh, designers, and then they can use it to make better content. There's a movie that came out a few years ago, and I saw it in theaters, and I rewatched it last week as part of my understanding of how AI impacts interactions with humans and culture, and it was her. I don't know if you've I haven't. It. I haven't. And I, now I feel uneducated <laughs> and I'm like running to Netflix to, to make sure that I see this as soon as possible. You should really watch it. So what it is, it's, it's about this, um, it's a man and he basically is a marketer, what he does. I know the movie. I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, he creates these handwritten personal notes and he gets this um, operating system to help him do his job better and, do his, and live his life better. And he develops this emotional, romantic attachment to this operating system and it's it's very creepy and it's also very interesting and it's also very emotional because as the relationship develops and progresses the operating system develops and progresses based on those interactions yeah that's crazy i can't believe no one's told me to to see this movie it's five years old it's not new i've got to go see it you know the, the it's funny the analogy that i like to use when especially creative people are thinking about using ai or machine learning and because, um, again, the story you tell about her, it's like, oh, God, now we're going to fall in love with the operating system, and it, it all gets very creepy. Is So I was, I'm going to date myself. So I was, uh, I'm, I'm old. Um, and, and back in the 80s, when we used to travel as a family, um, we would go to AAA. AAA was still there back in the 80s. And we would get this thing called TripTick. Right? So TripTick, if any of your listeners were, were alive and traveling at this time, was literally a map that just folded from page to page. And AAA would highlight your route. So they would literally take a highlighter, a real highlighter, and highlight the destination um, from, for me, Cincinnati, Ohio, all the way to Florida. And so as you drove with the family, you just 
you know, keep flipping the triptych and you'd follow the highlighted route. Um, it worked. It got us to Florida every time. But it isn't nearly as effective as using Waze, right? Where, where Waze not only will give you the highlighted route, by the way, the highlighted route thing came from the triptych days in the 80s, but Waze will tell you where police officers are. They will tell you where traffic is. They will let you know that there's a pothole in front of you. Mm-hmm. I think about AI and creative the same way, mm-hmm. right? If we can give content creators better tools to kind of inform how they're building content, we shouldn't be afraid of it. We should embrace it. I had a very similar conversation last week um, with Phrasing. Mm. I think is like the only competitor you guys have because yep. this is such a new concept. And what he said was when Photoshop came out, you know, all these artists were panicking because they thought that they were going to be put out of business, but actually it's just a better tool. And it, it, it kind of gave birth to this whole new industry of graphic design, but creativity hasn't gone away. Yep. I think about it a little bit more historically because that's how I think like books, right? They've been, been printed since the 15th century. You can still go buy a book. Yep. You know, there's still different ways to consume them and there are digital ways to consume them, but it's still a book. It can still go get a physical book like you could in the 15th century. So I, I do agree and I, I do, I find it curious that there's so much fear around technology and like this, and, but I also feel like this fear is kind of old and needs to be addressed. Yeah, I think, I think the other thing that's interesting to think about uh, at an enterprise level and kind of where the fear comes from is most businesses are operated in silos, right? So yeah. you've got performance marketers, you have creatives, you have people who run e-commerce and site experiences, and, and all these things are kind of separate. Mm-hmm. What's, what's interesting about uh, data informing business processes is the creative process is kind of the last bastion mm-hmm. um, of, of, of places where you don't find a ton of data informing every decision on a daily basis. Not happening in, in other areas of marketing. So I think part of the fear is it's just new and a little bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and I do agree with you. I think that the, the, the key is anyone building content just needs to embrace anything that helps them create content that's more relevant and more engaging. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, I'm sure we and everybody else in this space, no one's interested in replacing the creative teams. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not there from a machine learning or AI perspective. AI is not waking up and coming up with the next best way mm-hmm. to, to engage in super pleased customers, but it can solve a number of contextual problems mm-hmm. uh, very, very well. Another thing I've noticed, and you know, you can speak to this in your experience, um, and I, I hope you would, is that I think a lot of times people um, get into these sort of territorial mindsets because you were talking earlier about silos you know mm-hmm. I'm e-commerce yeah. over here creatives over here and I think people feel just very like well I'm an e-commerce and I'm the vice president or I'm a director of e-commerce and this is my little this is my little pond and like don't you come near it and I have my little numbers and I crunch yeah. them and I think that there's also a little bit of fear and resistance around integration because as I continue to talk to marketers I continue to talk to senior levels and you know people who are you know driving a lot of change there is a lot of integrations going on. So, for example, um, just wrote a piece about RevOps, revenue operations, mm-hmm. taking, you know, marketing operations, and business yeah. operations, and customer success operations, and putting it all together. So, do you have you found in your experience, you know, at Prezado and at Sears and the enterprise level that you work out that there's a kind of resistance to, um, you know, integration and not just having data to crunch numbers from a quarterly report or quarterly earnings, but looking at it from the perspective, okay, like how is this data informing what the customer wants? Do you find <laughs> yeah. any resistance to that? Yeah, so, so McKinsey just uh, released a, a piece, and I think it's called The Perfect Match 
um, unlocking the next level of growth by combining data with creative. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have boxed the title, so we can we can think about what that actually might be, but you'll find it based on that guidance. Um, and anyway, what they did is they, they did a survey of enterprises, and they categorized companies into three groups. The first is they called idlers, people who don't use data, companies that don't use data to make decisions. Let's move them to the side. Are those actual companies? That's so the these are actually companies in the survey that, that, that wow. while they collect data, there's no there are still enterprises out there that aren't effectively using those data to drive decision making. Wow. The most common group, and this is kind of going to your question, was something they called isolators. So isolators grew on average about 5% a year. And what they did is they had a huge amount of data that they leveraged to make business decisions, but in an isolated or siloed way. So meaning e-commerce had its own data and its own analyst, and they used data to make decisions around e-commerce. But that didn't inform the middle of the funnel, where you had a different team, like call it CRM, doing whatever they did with their data. And that didn't inform the very top of the funnel, where you had, say, paid media and, and, and traffic driving uh, programs that used its own set of data. The third group was called integrators. Integrators grow on average twice as fast or twice the rate of isolators, and they're the companies that are breaking down those silos and are taking data and taking creative and bringing those things together across the customer experience. It's actually pretty rare. Uh, in my personal experience, uh, it was very difficult, and the only way companies um, can make the change is to have top-down leaders and incentive structures that align everyone in a common goal. If uh, someone's on, you mentioned earlier, if e-commerce is aligned on convert carts to orders and orders to carts or whatever their KPIs are for the day, that's all they're going to focus on. Mm-hmm. So you, you've got to create an incentive structure that looks at the entire customer journey, and then you've got to have senior leadership get everybody together because it's not going to happen organically. So where would a CMO fall into this? Because something I noticed about CMOs is that they're usually, I don't want to go so far as to say they're on a glass cliff, but usually when there's trouble, they're either, usually the first to go. Like take Uber, for example. Right. There's several examples right now. Right. You know, they're, they're the that. first to go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it almost seems really unfair because it's like, well, how can you do your job effectively if you're the first to go at the first time of trouble, you're at the C-suite, the whole, the whole idea is to be able to be in your position while you take the company out of trouble. So it, it seems like there's this really strange sort of, like, well, how can you do if the if solution is top-down, but then the person who's in that role to make that change isn't there. Yeah, so I, I think using a practical example, one of the first companies to try to move to address that was the Home Depot, uh-huh. when they combined the CMO role and the chief digital officer role. So they brought those two things together. Mm-hmm. So that I, that's where I'm passionate about that from an organizational structure perspective. Mm-hmm. The marketing has always been science, right? When you think about the, the direct marketing catalog days and everything else, it's always been, you know, I want to invest and I want to get a return for my investment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at some point we got a little bit too far to the branding and, and you know, side of things, which is very, it's incredibly important, but it became too much of the CMO's job. I think going forward, uh, the CMO should evolve. The CMO role, the CDO role um, should eventually come together because those are the two C-suite positions that are ultimately responsible for the customer experience, right? Mm-hmm. That's every, I, I don't care if you're brick and mortar or pure play, the digital experience is where customers engage with your brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the CMO role has to include both this digital responsibility as well as the marketing responsibility. Um, the wild part there is this, this concept of data science and analytics, 
Where does that sit? Because that's that's often the, the tiebreaker, the deciding factor in the enterprise. Mm-hmm. So I think that needs to come in as well, right? And and I think once you have all of that aligned, you could really create a customer-centric marketing experience, which is not what we have today, right? We have a siloed company-centric marketing experience. It needs to be more customer-centric. Yeah, and there are these new sort of C-suite roles that are like chief people officer and chief like experience officer. And it, it seems like there's it's almost getting more and more vague and getting more abstract. And I think what you're talking about is combining different aspects of the customer experience, data-driven, content-driven, experience-driven, as opposed to being like a chief people officer. It's like maybe like an HR person and then they sort of do market. You know what Cre- I mean? Creating more roles is never the answer, right. at, least, at least based in my experience. Right. Um, I, I think that it has to be uh, more simplified at the end of the day. And, and I think the other problem we have actually that's feeding this issue is specialization. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of digital marketers came up over the last five, 10 years being very specialized. I'm in paid media, I'm in CRM, I'm in brand, I'm in, oh my goodness, like that's not gonna serve a CMO. So I think one of the things we can all do uh, to create more effective organizations is do more cross training, right? Make sure that the people that we're investing in are experiencing all of the different silos so that they can then help us and understand how to break them down and collaborate, you know, versus exposing them to the customer, which is the bad. Yeah. And I've noticed that too, like even in my own professional journey, like when sometimes I'll talk to people about a job and they're looking for someone who has an extremely specified skill set. And it's like, first of all, I'm 30. I'm not going to have that level of specialization (laughs) at 30. That's number one. Number two, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in five years. So why would you hire someone for the next, you know, three to 12 months of what you need when you're hiring someone for five to 10 years? Yeah, I think what frustrates me most about that statement is that is, is it's misguided, meaning looking for that level of specificity. And the reason is those people tend not to interact well with everyone else in the organization. Exactly. Because they're in their seat because they know best. Listen, that's fine if attribution only existed as it relates to your job. It doesn't, right? The customer experience is gonna touch you for, people can't see me in the podcast, but for a very small amount of time. And uh, you've gotta be able to collaborate with the other touch points Mm -hmm. or forget about it. Yeah, and something I've learned a lot with customer journey is that customer journey is, it's specific, it's subjective, it's always evolving, and it touches different points of the brand that they're interacting with, right? Because yeah. there are some people who love to shop on the phone, and there are some people who want to start on the phone and then go to the store, come back to the phone. So it's like, how do you incorporate all of these different kinds of customer journeys with yeah. their different kinds of habits? Yeah, For so, so for me, just to respond to what you said, mm-hmm. the word subjective, so when you say, how do you combine these things? Mm-hmm. I think removing subjectivity is really important. And back to the topic of conversation, I think, that's where the machine learning and AI comes in. Right. If built right, AI and machine learning has no bias, right? So the reality is it will understand or help the marketer understand what, what is working or not working in a given context. Mm-hmm. And once that subjectivity is gone, you're able to move much further faster from uh, an experience design standpoint across touch points. No, I was talking about subjectivity to the customer, like not subjectivity oh, yes, to I hear the you. marketer. Like I'm talking about from a customer standpoint, like what they say is a good customer experience is a good customer experience. And I think a lot of times 
what you were saying before, like a lot of these sort of silo components of an organization. It's like, well, based on this data in e-commerce, this is what we think is a good customer experience. Based on this data in paid media, this is what we think is a good customer experience. Right, right. And those are they're two different parts of the journey. So of course you're gonna get two different, you know, aspects. Yep. As opposed, and the, the customer is like, I'm one person, I'm me. Yeah. I'm not two different experiences, I'm not two different sets of data, I'm one person going on one experience. Completely agree. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's like, how do you incorporate all of those things? And I think what you said is like the machine learning is, is watching that journey and then being able to spit back and say, this is what this customer is doing, and this is what an aggregate of these customers are doing, and this is how we respond. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So do you think people are upset that that machine is basically telling them what to do and how to reach their customers? No, I don't think so. I mean, look, no more upset, back to the triptych example, no more upset than we get about Waze helping us avoid a traffic jam right. by taking us down an alternate route. Right. Uh, so I, I think I think it's, it's just such a great analogy. And the way I would sum it up very quickly is all AI and machine learning is going to do is provide data back as it relates to what's working and not working with a customer. I think innovative kind of open-minded marketers are, are taking that data and defining their true north mm-hmm. around the data. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not, the machine's not saying, say this specifically at every customer touch. That, that's not the value. Mm-hmm. The value is understanding broadly, here are the personal product, emotional connections with the customer that matter. Okay, Mr. Creative or Mrs. Creative, apply this to how you do design. And I don't think it's, it, to me, it's the same way Waze works. I, I, I embrace that. I'm, I'm still going to Chicago, but I'm gonna be, I'll be happy to get there the most effective way possible. So what, what can we leave our, our senior level marketers with? You know, because it's, it seems like you, they have like this really unique challenge of taking AI and breaking down silos and doing top-down change. It's a lot. <laughs> right. Everybody be really scared. <laughs> so no, I think if I had to, I think if I had to sum up a, a few points, um, everything starts with some level of business context or business problem. Mm-hmm. So what I would recommend is that senior level marketers think about what is that business context that I want to be focused on? What's the problem I want to address? Mm-hmm. And then once that problem is defined, you can start thinking about, okay, what kind of contextual data, you know, start working with your, with your peers and your organization, your partners, what kind of data, what information do I need about my customer? to address the problem, and then moving down the path of building the algorithms and the AI to help go do it. I think a lot of the times, like to your question, everyone's like, I gotta go do AI. I, I, I would say don't start there. Mm-hmm. Pick a business problem, and then we can zero the technology on how best to solve it. Um, I think the only other recommendation I would give, and I say this all the time, you need to be looking at AI to provide insights that didn't exist previously. The real value of combining technology in the creative process is the technology should uncover things that we just didn't know before. Um, that's the value of machine learning. So I, I think that would be another uh, question I would ask myself if starting down the process. All right. Well, great. I mean, thank you so much for coming. It was a ton of fun. Thanks so much for having wisdom. me. Uh, again, that was Ryan Deutsch, Chief Brand Advocate at Persado. I'm your host, Marjorie Remind Sanabria at DMN. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, everybody. Bye-bye.